27 men sit in solitary confinement on Oregon's death row. This summer, those men will be moved, but they're not going far. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with Noel Crombie, an investigative reporter at the Oregonian and Oregon Live, who covers criminal justice issues. Crombie recently broke the news that Oregon's death row inmates will be moved, and many will be headed to the general prison population at the state's only maximum security prison. The decision effectively means death row is no more in this state. We talked about the long road to this decision, what it means for the inmates, and what victims' families think. On the second half of the show, we talked about COVID-19's effect on the prison system in Oregon. Here's that conversation. Noel Crombie, thanks so much for carving out time. Thanks for having me. Let's just cut to the chase. Why did Oregon decide to shut down death row? It was a significant decision. Um, I spoke with Colette Peters, the longtime director for the Department of Corrections, who told me that the decision was largely a practical one. Uh, The state penitentiary could use that space for inmates who require disciplinary sanctions. Um, An estimated 1,000 inmates cycled through what's known as disciplinary segregation last year. Mm-hmm. And that space, she said, is better suited for that use than, than where they're currently doing disciplinary segregation. Uh, and death row has uh, 27 men and 40 cells. So there was a logistical factor to her decision. Um, and, and she said also a small budgetary um, consideration as well. But really the bigger the decision was made against a, a much bigger backdrop, and that is the, the sort of state of capital punishment in Oregon. Yeah, this seems like something that we've been talking about for years now. Um, what, walk us back through how we got to this point um, where, you know, the, the state is deciding to, to close down death row. I mean, capital punishment in Oregon um, has basically been uh, suspended no one here has been put to death because of a, a moratorium that's been in place uh, since 2011. Um, and there have been major sentencing reforms, particularly one passed by the legislature last year, that meant fewer people convicted of murder are eligible for death. So practically speaking, a death row you know, isn't likely to grow much um, in the coming years, if at all. Um, and so I, I think that this decision is really an acknowledgement that um, you know capital punishment in Oregon is effectively um, over. The mo- moratorium um, you mentioned was instituted in 2011. Uh, people might recall a little bit about that. Can can you remind uh, us about Gary Haugen and uh, John Kitzhaber and kind of what led to the moratorium to begin with? Governor Kitzhaber um, really wrestled with the um, execution of um, Gary Haugen, who had you know, dropped his appeals and sought execution, um, and, and Kitzhaber um, uh, declined and then imposed a moratorium um, that has continued under Kate Brown. You know, Oregon has a long and complicated history with uh, the death penalty, um, voters abolished it in, in 1914. It was reinstated in 1920, repealed again, then reinstated, repealed. I mean, so this has been a, a cycle on and off. And, and over the years, uh, lawmakers have um, 
made changes to who's eligible for it. Um, and so we're at a point now where few people are eligible for it and uh, no one is, is, you know, faces the real possibility of execution. Beyond Gary Haugen, um, who else is on death row now? Can you, can you describe uh, maybe one or, or two or, or three of, uh, of the men who are on there now and why they're there? People on uh, Oregon's death row now uh, include some of the most notorious um, killers in Oregon's recent um, history. We're talking about uh, men like Christian Longo, who um, was convicted of killing his wife and uh, three young children. Uh, the two, the father and son, uh, Bruce and Joshua Turnage, who were convicted in the Woodburn bombing. Uh, there are other um, high-profile uh, killers who live there. People accused of uh, people are convicted of killing um, children, other inmates. You were you probably one of the few reporters in the state who has been to death row. Can you describe what it looks like? Where is it? Uh, I, I think a lot of people probably don't even know. Uh, Death Row is located on the grounds of the Oregon State Penitentiary, the state's oldest prison that's in Salem. Um, To get to the building where Death Row is located, you have to walk through three locked gates through the maximum security prison. The, The state pen is the state's only maximum security prison. You pass through the main building into a, a large outside area. You walk by the, the prison yard um, along a, a paved route called the Avenue that takes you to the far back corner of the state penitentiary grounds to a dingy yellow building. That's where death row is located along with uh, the execution chamber, which has been mothballed uh, and preserved pretty much in in a static state. And uh, also there's a unit there that holds uh, some of the prison's more challenging inmates who are not on death row. My colleague uh, Beth Nakamura and I walked through, uh, just walked by death row when we were doing the tour of the uh, death chamber. And it's a two-tiered unit. It was very quiet. It is sort of known for being a very quiet unit. there are disciplinary issues there, but they're uh, far fewer than um, what you would find in general population. Um, and the, when we went through, very, very few of the men were out of their cell. What was that like um, to see the, as you described it, mothballed uh, death chamber, which hadn't been used right since 1997? It really feels like a, a relic or a a museum, a, a vestige of another era. The bed is made. Um, there's a little uh, sort of a sleeping chamber where where the inmate, the condemned person is kept the night before. You know, there's a wool blanket on the bed and the sheets are on there with a pillow. Uh, the um, there There's a curtain drawn across the window. There are phones in there, a direct line to the governor. It's a place that feels like it's really from another another time. It is used today, I mean, only really for tours uh, of you know, judges and law students who want to see it. It's more of a, a historical fascination than it is really a practical space. Why did you and Beth want to see it? 
Well, I had been requesting um, access to, I'd been requesting a tour uh, of the um, execution chamber during the last year's um, debate about the state's aggravated murder statute. Uh, aggravated murder is the only crime that's eligible for death in Oregon. And given that this was one of the biggest um, bills to come out of the legislature, I really wanted to see this space. Um, and so it took a, a number of months and eventually um, the, the Department of Corrections allowed us to uh, to go and see it. And while we were there, I asked, could we also see death row? And so they sort of walked us through there as well. Um, how are conditions for inmates on death row different from those in the general population at the state penitentiary? Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting question. You know, it's a prison within a prison. Uh, the men who live there are, um, you know, they have to ask to leave their cell. Um, they can't, you know, have recreation or meals with the general population. Their meals are delivered to their unit, to their cells. They um, they can't have access to the commissary and, can't, you know, the canteen. Um, they can, you know, get a TV just like, general population inmate, mm -hmm. they have access to the phone and can bring the phone into their cells. Uh, and they also have access to um, their case files. These cases churn through the legal system for years, decades in some cases. And these um, inmates have amassed massive legal uh, files that they're allowed to keep with them. They will lose that privilege when they move into general, if they move into general population. And it's unclear, I should say, whether, uh, you know, who among these men will end up in general population? Colette Peters made clear that some will be able to transition to general population, but there are some who will always be in a single cell setting because of the nature of their crime and who they are. Uh, they're either a danger to others or potentially would be in danger themselves. Um, but they're always in solitary confinement on death row? Yeah, they are. They can you know, they're around, they're, they're in this unit, so they're near each mm -hmm. other. Um, and interestingly, uh, in the course of my reporting on this, I did hear from the wife and mother of the Turnages, and she said that, um, you know, her husband and son, they, you know, they were, they, they're together. They, they don't want to be separated. So there's some social, so some socializing among, among the men there. Those are the men who were convicted of uh, the fatal bombing, um, uh, bank bombing that we talked about earlier. Yes. What about um, the overall general population at the state penitentiary? Um, do you know how many inmates are there at any given time or how many are there now? At the state pen, which is one of 14 um, prisons in the, in the state system, there are um, about 2,000 inmates. Okay. What is the state of the death penalty nationally? Do you have a sense, uh, you know, there's been a movement for decades at this point, uh, kind of pushing back against capital punishment, but um, do you know how many states as of now uh, have capital punishment? Yeah, today, uh, 28 states, including Oregon, have the death penalty. And in addition to Oregon, two other states have a moratorium. We mentioned talking to the family members of, of some of the men on death row and what they make of this uh, of this change. What about the victims' families here? Um, do you have a sense of uh, what victims' families think or the ones that you've been able to speak with about seeing uh, individuals who are convicted of murder and 
you know, on death row now going into potentially uh, the general population? The individuals I spoke with had a very strong reaction. There's a sense that their suffering is compounded on death row. And there is, you know, these are, um, these are victims, family members who don't want to see that uh, lessened. They want to make sure that the people who are convicted in the, of these crimes um, are they're they're called out um, uh, by being on death row that really singles them out um, in the minds of some people as the worst of the worst, and uh, they deserve the isolation that comes with a death row. That was a feeling that I got from. Uh, from some of the family members um, of the victims. Uh, however, I did speak with one family member who said, you know, maybe the the, the prospect of change might be um, uncomfortable for um, for these men. And, and maybe it wasn't all that bad that they go out into general population. For some of them, maybe that would be an uncomfortable transition. And so some family members, and, and, and also maybe they would lose some privileges by going out there. They're not going to be in a single cell if they go into general population. They face the prospect of bunking with a stranger. Um, and so I can't say there was a uniform reaction from family members, but um, I think most were upset uh, that the decision that that there would be any change in status for these guys. Uh, to be clear, though, they still are sentenced to death. They will just be served. They will just serve that time elsewhere in the institution or elsewhere in the state system. I guess what's the difference? Sentenced to death versus a life sentence behind bars? Effectively none. Does this save the state money at all to not have this uh, independent wing um, where, you know, you have 27 uh, inmates who are, I I, I would presume, have additional uh, resources devoted to them? Yeah, it's going to save a, a, a small amount according to Colette Peters, the budget for the Department of Corrections is $2 billion and the, the cost savings is pretty small. So that was a factor, but it, but it's not, um, it's not going to be a major cost savings. Okay. Let's take a break and then we can talk a little bit more about the correction system and how COVID-19 is affecting uh, inmates and, and employees. All right, Noel, COVID-19 is obviously a major concern for everyone. That includes inmates, um, people working in the corrections system in Oregon. What is the situation at the state penitentiary and to the degree you are able to speak to it at the entire prison system and and jail system here in, in Oregon? The Department of Corrections says uh, that they have about 136 cases of of inmates who have tested positive for the virus. Uh, Those um, uh, people, they're all men, and they are housed at four uh, prisons, um, one at Oregon State Penitentiary, uh, Shutter Creek, which is on the coast, Santiam, which is also in Salem, and Two Rivers, which is in Umatilla. The largest outbreak uh, and the one that is seems to be growing um, is at uh, the State Penitentiary, uh, the which is um, you know the state's um, maximum security prison. The, those cases had been mostly confined to uh, what is known as D Block, but um, 
more recent cases show that it it has actually spread beyond beyond that cell block into other parts of the prison. The prison system has um, moved men with um, who have tested positive. They have moved them to Coffee Creek, which is the women's prison. They have an infirmary there with a negative pressure room or never negative pressure rooms, which limit air circulation. And so they have moved um, all but uh, well, they've moved most of the people from um, who are ill to that facility for treatment. I, I did hear yesterday that they had kept some of them at the state pen. Additionally, there are another uh, 30 or so uh, staff who have also tested positive for the virus. And of those, the latest count was that nine had recovered. So, you know, it's uh, it's in the state prison system. One of the issues that the system has encountered, uh, they don't want to be end up in medical isolation or in quarantine. Mm-hmm. So um, they have, you know, tried to uh, you know, put off testing, um, a lawsuit that was filed on their behalf kind of spells out some of their concerns, the loss of privileges, um, the isolation. Um, they're hoping they can ride it out. It's been a difficult situation in, in the state prison system. I mean, these are environments where it's hard to really hard to kind of contain there. It's hard to um, socially isolate in prison. These are often bunk settings and uh, really big group living situations where viruses like this can spread. Now, weeks ago at this point, maybe even more than more than a month, uh, Governor Kate Brown indicated um, at one point that she was considering releasing prisoners um, uh, who were who nearing the end of their term. And then that quickly changed, right? Can you refresh our memory of what happened there? Uh, yes. Uh, the governor signaled... Um, uh, a willingness to at least look at a potent, the issue of potential early release. Um, that didn't last long. I mean, the state prison system said really to um, adhere to social guide, social distancing guidelines. Uh, they would have to release you know, a sizable number of inmates. I think the number was close to 6,000 inmates. It represented, um, I think it was 40% of the state's prison system. And so uh, that idea of kind of a large-scale release, which we which we did see in Washington, was dropped. Uh, and the governor said she would consider it on a, on a case-by-case basis. Since then, the Oregon Parole Board has signaled a willingness to look at potential candidates for release under a very restrictive administrative rule of uh, medical release, but it's, uh, that's really only for um, inmates who meet very strict criteria uh, around their medical conditions and age, uh, but they were evaluating those cases for potential release, and it was a small number. So, Noelle, what other, you know, you mentioned this is a multi-billion dollar agency that is really across the state has facilities in various parts of the state. What are some of the budget issues or other significant problems that, that you're aware of or tracking uh, given uh, both the state budget crisis and, and other issues that, that are facing the uh, correction system? Well, before the, uh, the pandemic really um, got into full swing, um, uh, the agency announced a $60 million shortfall in its current budget and plans to lay off a couple of dozen employees to close that gap. The employees they were looking to lay off or plan to lay off were um, 
investigators with the inspector general's office. That's a really key watchdog function within the agency. The, the, that shortfall was the result of rising health healthcare costs associated with caring for an aging prison population. Uh, the, the state agency, um, cares for inmates who have, some of them have really complex health needs. Um, some of them are treated um, in, in local hospital systems, um, and that has a very big uh, price tag. Uh, and that, in addition to um, rising costs of uh, treating inmates with hepatitis C, were, a, um, were real driving factors in the, um, in the shortfall. And the agency announced a, a, a bunch of cost-saving measures that it would undertake to make that up. Um, I haven't spoken with um, any agency representatives since to figure out how they're going to be addressing what what sure to be a shortfalls going forward due to the virus. And this is a, another leg of the law enforcement and correction stool, I guess. But um, as your reporting for several years has shown, um, there's staffing issues at, at all levels, right? Oregon State Troopers are, are down dozens of positions and have been for years. So th- this is just another issue facing our law enforcement and correction system. Yes. Noel, I wanted to circle back a bit to the death row conversation we started with. Who was the last inmate uh, to be executed in Oregon? The most recent execution was in 1997. Um, That uh, was um, Harry Charles Moore. Um, He chose not to pursue his appeals. Uh, He was convicted of killing um, his half-sister and her former husband. He was put to death uh, on May 16, 1997. Noel, as your reporting shows, ultimately by uh, moving these more than two dozen inmates from death row uh, sometime this summer, uh, this effectively is the end of death row in Oregon, right? Yes, uh, that's true. The that's right. The um, the Department of Corrections um, is going to empty death row this beginning in July, um, and that essentially signals the end of capital punishment in Oregon. And that comes roughly nine years after then Governor Kitzhaber first started this moratorium, right? That's right. So ultimately, in a state that's had fits and starts, as you chronicle it, of going back and forth between it, um, is there is this really the end? Or do you, I guess it's possible it comes back in the future, but uh, or does this feel like the end? You know, it... it it does feel like the end. Um, American sentiment towards uh, the death penalty um, is is dropped. Uh, you know, support for this policy has dropped uh, across the country. And so, while the move in Oregon to dismantle death row uh, is driven by practical concerns, it really is. It really does signal the um, the end uh, of, of capital punishment in Oregon. Well, Noel, thanks so much for your reporting and for explaining it to us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Check out Noel's coverage of the end of death row. I shared some links in the episode notes. After this interview was recorded, Oregon had its first known COVID-19 death among inmates, a man in custody at the state penitentiary in Salem. 
As of late Thursday, some 148 inmates statewide had tested positive for the virus. A reminder, please pass the word if you're listening to this show and like what we're doing. Tell a friend, a coworker, your mom. We'd appreciate it. Catch up on past episodes by subscribing anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time.